So we are two days away from a new decade, the 2020s. Some of you must be excited about that. Some of you are probably terrified about that, depending on your temperament. But at the, at the end of a year, at the end of a decade, uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different. We did this last year. The week after Thanksgiving, I invited a, a number of members of our congregation to give short devotionals on thankfulness. And it was really fun. And so we decided to do it again. Um, but today we're going to talk about hope. The hope of the gospel, the hope of the future, the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, and I have asked four different people to come up and share from Scripture, uh, TED Talk style. I told them I'd, I'd keep them on a timer just in case they got out of hand. Um, but last year, it was really, really edifying to hear the voices of so many wonderful people and, and how God has worked through them. And so uh, I'm excited to do the same thing this morning. So we're going to get started. Um, I'm going to invite Sarah to come up. And there you are. Come on up. Uh, and, and kick us off. So welcome to the last, uh, last Sunday of 2019. I think tradition tells us that this is when we're supposed to take stock of our lives and decide what we're going to fix in 2020. But I think more accurately for me, one of you put it on Facebook, um, I can't believe it's already been a year since the last time I didn't fix anything, which is very accurate for my life. Um, so Zach had asked us to look at verses of hope, and I don't usually do topical studies, so I had no idea where to start. So um, instead of starting with the Bible, I started with Google about the Bible, which is probably a mistake. But I found a verse that just gave me a lot of hope, and ironically has nothing to do with the word hope. Um, though it is implied, in the book of Micah chapter 7, he starts to describe this society and this world that just seems completely hopeless. Starting in verse 2, he says that faithful people have vanished from the land. There is no one upright among the people. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright of them is worse than a hedge of thorns. Skipping to verse 5, do not rely on a friend. Do not trust a close companion. Seal your mouth from the woman who lies in your arms. Surely a son considers his father a fool. A daughter opposes her mother, and a daughter-in-law is against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. I can't... We might be losing battery, sorry. I can't really think of a situation of a lifestyle that is more hopeless than that. When your family and friends are against you, um, when husbands are guarded to um, seal their mouths from the woman who lies in their arms, um, wives might appreciate that, but um, husbands probably not. The, the situation is very dark, and then you get to verse 7, and Micah's response to that is, but I will look to the Lord and I will wait for the God of my salvation and he will hear me. I don't know about you, but for me, when my world is crashing down, um, whether personally or globally or um, nationally, my response is I want to fix it. I want to find solutions in YouTube and Google and everywhere except the Lord sometimes. Um, that's not the first place I go. And yet his response is I'm going to wait 
I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to try and fix it. I'm not going to seek answers. I'm just going to wait. And I think you have to have an incredible amount of hope before you even start to think about that. Um, I think that when our hope is is placed in solutions and the things of this world, eventually they're going to fall apart and they're going to expire and they're going to wear out. I also read on Facebook that um, I remember when paper bags were the problem and plastic was the solution. And so we, we go from solution, from solution to solution to, to fix the problems of the world and even the best of them don't last. And yet when our faith is in God and our hope is in God, he doesn't expire and he doesn't fail and he doesn't wear out. And I, I think when we put our hope in the Lord, we're going to have rough days, but we're never going to have days without hope. So there's my thought. Um, sorry, it wasn't quite 10 minutes. I tried. I, I can talk for another three. How was your week? Um, <laughs> Zach is telling me to get off the stage. So Spencer, I think you're next. Can I have her extra three minutes? Just kidding. Um, good morning. Um, Zach asked if I'd be interested in talking about hope, and I usually have more than enough to say about anything. Um, so I was like, sure. Um, back in Bible college, God gave me two verses out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, um, verses 18 and 19, if you guys want to turn there. Um, And in Bible college, uh, I had this perspective of my own life, of where I would be, what I'd be doing, and much of that was in ministry, full-time, going to school to be um, in a pastoral role, emphasis on youth ministry, and I had it at least pictured out in my mind. And while you're going to school, studying the Bible, working at a church, you kind of have this eye-in-the-sky perspective of the gospel, of Jesus, of hope in the gospel. And no matter what plays out in the day-to-day, you always see the end game, Jesus on the throne, ruler of the universe. Life goes on, things change, now I'm out of ministry, working a quote-unquote normal job, building relationships with people in the community. And it went from this eye-in-the-sky eye to this boots-on-the-ground Christianity where now you're rubbing elbows with different philosophies and perspectives. And the hope didn't change, but your perspective of that hope, I'd say, became more blurry. When you think about commanders and generals commanding a war versus the soldiers that are in the trenches. You know, there's a couple stories about soldiers, whether they're in Vietnam or wherever, and they didn't get the word that the war had ended. And so they're living in this no man's land of, we don't know what to do, there are no commands coming down, and the ability to lose hope is much more prevalent in those situations. So the verses that God gave me in Bible college, starting in verse 18, it says, Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? 
Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And for one reason or another, in different situations in my life, I always came back to this passage. Now, the context of the passage is God talking to a rebellious Israel and reminding them that he is their redeemer, he is their deliverer, he brought them out of Egypt, and that was the beginning of patterns throughout Israel's history of not one grand exodus, but much smaller exoduses that he would bring them out, deliver them from different bondage, from different um, captivities, and always reminding myself that, yes, God saved me, but every day he's continuing to save me. He is saving me. Going back to the idea of being in the trenches, um, Psalm 73 is a psalm from Asaph, and it starts out by Asaph saying, you know, God is good to Israel, but for me, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, when I saw how good those who didn't believe in God were doing, my feet almost slipped. And I constantly have to remind myself that my heart is rebellious and that when I come across these situations in the day-to-day, my grand scheme of things, I know my hope is in Jesus. I know that he is the end game for me. But what about this conflict I'm having with this person? What about this situation where I don't see a way out? What about this bill that I can't pay? Jesus still is saving me, and he's providing a way. He's guiding me, creating paths in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. And understanding that hope is very big, applies to big situations, but it also applies to the small situations. And for me, I'd consider myself somewhat of an optimist, somewhat of always looking at the brighter side of things, and the cups always seem to be half full in my life. Reminding myself that hoping, my hope in Jesus is so much bigger than any problem, any anxiety, any worry that comes with the day-to-day. Because I know that the war has already been won but it's the battles that I have problems with. Am I going to win this battle? Will God deliver me from this battle? And so just for me, reminding myself of who God is, that he is indeed good, that he is indeed wanting and willing to deliver me, and that he will create a way out of a situation. He, like, he will save me from something that doesn't seem like I can be saved from. The Seattle Seahawks, all of their running backs were injured, and God provided a way. You can clap for that. You know, um, we have these stories King David has a a situation like this in his life. Um, You see it throughout, you know, different times in medieval history of kings having this weird perspective and 
those in the kingdom having a different perspective. But in God's kingdom, knowing who our king is, knowing who the victory is through, letting that be the deciding factor for us, the encouragement, the turning point for our hearts when we come across a situation and we're scared. Maybe life isn't what you thought it would be. Maybe, you know, finances aren't where you need them to be. But trusting in the God who not only provides, but wants to provide, not only saves, but wants to save, not only loves, but wants to love, understanding that there's nothing in your life or mine that having hope in Jesus can't overcome. So my encouragement to myself and to you guys is as those situations arise, remind yourself of who your king is, what he's capable of. And then also make a self-assessment. Is there something in your life that's hindering you, something that's stunting your perspective of your king. As Asaph says that his feet almost slipped when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. Remember that God's always doing something new. He's always working in your life. He's always creating a way. He's always providing rivers in a dry land. And he won't stop. He won't stop providing. He won't stop being the person that we can and should put our hope in. Um, John is next. Good morning, Revelation Church. That was better. Let's try one more time. Good morning, Revelation Church. Good morning. morning. Thank you. So Zach asked a handful of us to talk about hope. And he said, you have 10 minutes. And after I realized he wasn't laughing too, I stopped and said, oh, you're serious. So trying to wrap up the idea of hope in 10 minutes is kind of rough. So it's 1041. I'm going to try my best here. But as we run through this, we're talking about hope today, hope for the new year. It's a new year. Everybody gets excited about the idea of a new start. 2020 is a new beginning. I can try to do something different that I didn't do last year. So with that in mind, what are some New Year's resolutions out there? Who's got a New Year's resolution? Go ahead, Spencer. Get in shape. Get in shape. Who else? Any other New Year's resolutions? Stay on top of laundry. Good luck with that. <laughs> what else? Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for sharing that. So there might be some accountability now that we uh, aired those out. But yeah, 
Now there's a New Year's resolutions, typically around a workout schedule, get out of debt, spend time with family, less stress. What's interesting about these, these are all good things. However, they tend to fizzle out. Say about February, when you started that new reading plan in the Bible, you get to Leviticus and you're like, oh, here we go. And it usually stops right about there. So why is that? Why do New Year's resolutions fizzle out? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Lazy? At least somebody's honest. We got one honest person here. <laughs> now the result is, yeah, ultimately they're dependent on our actions. So they're dependent on us. That's why they typically fizzle out. The authors of the scriptures have a similar view on hope. Their idea is that there is going to be some sort of change. And that hope is ultimately rooted in God. So there's a little more reliability there. The hope is not dependent on our actions, but instead on the actions of God. The word hope used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it can be defined as expect or expectant. The New Testament Greek, the idea is hope can be defined as anticipation. So I find that interesting because you have the Old Testament, which is the idea of the expectant one that will come, which is what we celebrated just a couple days ago with Christmas. And then in a couple weeks, we will celebrate the other portion of Easter, and then we're kind of in this in-between standpoint, waiting the return of Jesus. So they're both rooted in the idea of Jesus' return. And it has longevity because it's rooted in God. So as we read our scripture today, it's in Romans 12, 12. And what I'll do is we'll see some statements, and then we'll see it kind of lived out in a different section of Scripture in the Old Testament. So looking at Romans 12, 12, we go, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Why should we, first statement, rejoice in hope? Flip back with me to Jeremiah 29. You guys might be familiar with this verse. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. So during this time, Israel is in captivity. They are in a position where if you're going to lose hope, this would be the ideal situation. But they shouldn't lose hope. They should rejoice in hope. Why is that? Because God has a plan. question is, you might ask yourself, what is God's plan for my life? Some of us might spend a lot of time thinking about that. What, what are the plans that God has for my life? I like to throw out an idea and just think about what are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us? Love God, love people. So if you can think about those two greatest commandments and figure out a way to put each one of those in action, then you're probably living out some sort of plan that God has for you. So the idea is to love God and love people. But once you start doing that, this is the warning. 
Some people aren't going to like that. The powers of this world will fight against that. You're bringing Jesus to earth. You're bringing the kingdom of God to earth when you love God and love people. So with that, there's going to be people that try to stand against that. So that brings us to our second point. Be patient in affliction. Why? First, God has a plan. Second part, trials are temporary. Go to Jeremiah 29, 11, or going back to uh, verse 10. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. So with the idea, trials are temporary. Stating here, after 70 years in Babylon are complete, I will restore you. It's really easy in those times of affliction to lose hope. You don't see an end in sight. I just heard the other night, Friday night, that there was somebody that committed suicide in this area. And it's one of those things, the reason why someone gets to that place is they have lost hope. They don't see that the trial is temporary, that there's going to be a restoration at some point. They don't see the fact that Jesus will be returning, restoring things as they should be. They have lost hope completely. So when you find yourself in those tough places, what should you do? The next statement is be persistent in prayer. Why? God has a plan. Trials are temporary. And God is listening. You go back to Jeremiah 29, 12. And what does it say? You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. So God has a plan. Trials are temporary. And God is listening. I pray that that would be an encouragement to you this day. And just thinking about what happened in 2019. You do have a new start with 2020. And look for those opportunities to love God, love people. And know that there is always hope, no matter what you face. Because ultimately... God has a plan, trials are temporary, and God is listening. So what do I need to do? I would encourage you to pray. Pray more. It's nothing formal. You don't have to necessarily set aside a time. I've talked with a handful of people within this congregation, and there's people that have very strong prayer lives here. And it's a continual conversation with God in all that you do. Not something, oh, on Friday at 3.30, I'm going to pray. But instead, it's a continual process of praying on a regular basis, talking to God. I'm driving to work. I'm praying to God. I'm at work. I'm praying to God, having conversation with him because he's listening. So just be thinking about this as I close. God has a plan. He's working today, and he's working into 2020. Trials are temporary. 2020 could be a year of restoration for you, whatever that looks like. Many different things count as restoration, so keep that in mind. Remember, I've talked before about the idea of perspective. But also, God is listening. So let 
2020 be the year that you pray about everything. With these three statements in mind, there's always hope, no matter what. A new year is a great time to refocus. So I pray that you'd refocus your hearts this morning. Thank you. Well, good morning. Like John said, my name is Jackson. For those of you that don't know me, uh, if you want to flip over in your Bibles and mark your spot real quick, First um, Peter is where we're going to be. Chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. Uh, Zach asked me a couple weeks ago to do this, to be one of a few people to come and talk for like 10 minutes or so on hope. And I said yes, like I normally do when people ask me things. And then I started thinking about what I just committed to, like I normally do when I commit to things. And uh, I realized that I could be one of the worst people to come and talk to you about hope. Because one, I'm not really a public speaker, I'm a guitar player. Two, uh, I'm not really a naturally hopeful person. Like, I, I'm not the glass half full type. You know, I'm generally a little bit more on the skeptical side, overly analytical. Um, so maybe you're in that camp too this morning, and you know, that's not your natural posture of your heart is, you know, positive and, and, and all of these things. But there's something to, to learn from what Scripture has to say about the hope that we have as Christians. So, uh, Some everyday examples of how we use the word hope. When we think of the word hope, we think of how we use it in our day-to-day speech. You know, things like, I hope you'll be able to make it to the New Year's party, or I really hope my car repair bill will not be too expensive. Uh, so-and-so is just admitted to the hospital. I really hope that they are doing okay, or the classic line from Star Wars, help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. Um, Oxford Dictionary defines the word hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, or a person or thing that may help or save someone. Um, little story for you real quick. My wife, standing over here, sent me on a mission a couple days ago to a mystical place called Walmart in a magical land called State Line, Idaho. And she sent me on this mission with the goal of purchasing butcher's twine to, uh, to tie up some, some meat she was using for a recipe. Everybody know what butcher's twine is? Just a show of hands, who in here knows what butcher's twine is? Okay, you guys are already leagues above the employees of Walmart. Um, so I go to Walmart with this hope of finding butcher's twine for my wife. I scour the store. I look all over for it. I can't find it anywhere. I look in the meats, the accessories. I look in every aisle I think it could possibly be until I'm about to lose hope personally. And I spot in the corner of my eye a beacon of hope, the blue and yellow vest of a Walmart employee. So I track him down. I say, excuse me, sir, do you know where butcher's twine is? And he goes, what's that? And I say, it's twine to tie up meat. He doesn't know where it is. He points me in the direction of another Walmart employee who also doesn't know where it is but looks it up on his little Walmart device. And then he looks at me with his face. He goes, if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be in aisle 20 of housewares. I don't know why I had that face on, but off I go to aisle 20 in housewares to look for butcher's twine. I can't find it anywhere. Up and down the aisle, left and right, nowhere to be found. I strip and grid the whole surrounding area, just like the military teaches, you know, looking for it. There's nowhere to be found. And I ask my last chance, my last hope, one more final Walmart employee. I say, excuse me, miss, do you know where butcher's twine is? And she goes, 
what? And I said, you know where butcher's twine is? She goes, what's that? And I explained to her what butcher's twine is. And I say, one other Walmart employee just pointed me to aisle 20 of housewares. I can't find it anywhere. And she goes, oh, it's right over here. Thinking that I was looking for aisle 20 instead of butcher's twine. The point was, by this point, all hope was lost to find butcher's twine. I didn't find any. Um, and if you're a person that's like me, uh, you can use things like this, moments like this in your life or the lives of other people, although this is a silly example, to, uh, to say, see, what's the point of hoping? What's the point of, of, of being a person that's perpetually hopeful? Just because you have a feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. Um, but the Bible has some things, some huge things to say to everyone, even people uh, like us that can be skeptical from time to time about the hope that specifically Christians have. So uh, with that, we're going to look at our text here real quick. Um, so First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the test of genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." That's a lot to unpack. Um, I think to really do that section of text justice, you need somebody that's a much better public speaker than myself with a much more fervent walk with Christ and uh, a good chunk more of time. Um, but here's what I got from that. One, our hope is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. And you go, duh, but it's not duh. That's, Spencer uh, brought up uh, the, the war um, folks, those soldiers that, that didn't know the war was over. I was reading a story last night about a Japanese man named Hiru Onada, who was in the Philippines, and he got separated from his unit, and he didn't know that the war was over. And for 29 years, he hid out in captive, fighting police that would come by in the distance, in the jungles. And the whole time, this man and his faithfulness and his, his dedication, he was filled with this hope that was a totally dead hope. He had no clue of the outcome. It, his hope was not, not based in a reality. The reality that he wanted to happen, what he desired, was not going to happen. I mean, that's not the hope that we have in Christ. Our hope is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. We don't have a hope that's based in a fantasy or just wishful thinking. It's alive and well. It's procured for us and given to us by King Jesus, who conquered death 2,000 years ago. You look at the first section of that passage that we read. Has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the one who has done it. He is the one who has given us the reason for hope. Because God became man, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, that's the basis of our hope. And, and he's the one that is guarding us and that will bring us to our future hope. And so it's not a hope that is dependent upon us. It's not dependent on us measuring up or being good enough or being steady and strong enough. God has done it. God is doing it. And God will bring us through. It's by God's power. It's not wishful thinking. It's a hope-filled reality. So I encourage you, as I encourage myself, to be more hopeful in 2020. And not just with some positive feeling, but with a hope that's based in the reality of who God is and what he's done for us. Because I'm tired of preferring distractions over the profound beauty of this story that God has called me into. Um, and so I want to know this hope this year better. I want to know this love that God has for me better and to really know God himself better, this God that I can count on. So with that, I'll turn it over to Zach. Wasn't that great, you guys? I love that. Um, yeah, you've heard from four different perspectives this morning about hope. We are a people as Christians who live as hopeful people. It's part of the DNA of the follower of Christ. And, uh, what has come up over and over and over again this morning is this, like, how do we, how do we get hope? How do we stoke hope? How do we uh, live in hope? And I love what Jackson said. It is, it is not ours to do. It is Jesus's to be done in us. But then as John said, there's some things that we're called to. And he talks specifically about prayer. And, and one of the things that I would add to that is what we're doing right now in some weird way, and don't ask me to explain it, but the Bible says that when we gather, we gather for hope. We gather in hope, and we get together on a regular basis, and we rehearse the future to one another when we sing. We just, we just sung this beautiful song a few minutes ago about the glory of the Lamb in heaven and, and how we are expecting that reality. And we open the word and we hear the voice of God week after week after week. And sometimes we feel like, yeah, that was awesome. And sometimes we feel like, why did I come to church today? That was weird. And I didn't understand what Zach said at all. And that's fine. But like over a process of year after year after year, it gets deeply rooted into our hearts and it causes us hope. And then the other thing that we do week after week, is we share in the communion meal. We, we share in this bread and this cup that represent the body and blood of Christ, and we, re we eat that in faith. Faith is believing that what Jesus did in the past is effective, that Jesus, in a historical event rooted in reality, died on the cross in our place for our sins. But it's also an exercise in hope because when Jesus gave out this meal the very first time, the night before he was betrayed, he said, I'm not going to drink this cup with you until we drink it together in the kingdom. And every time we share this meal together, we share it in hope that someday we're going to share it with King Jesus and all the saints gathered in the kingdom of God.
And no matter what 2020 looks like for you, that is your hope. Grounded in the reality of the cross and the word of God, that whatever happens ends up with you as a son or daughter of the king in the kingdom with God's people forever. And I think if nothing else, being a part of a community, rehearsing the truths of the gospel and song and sharing a communion meal and studying the word of God together should be bringing us hope. And so my encouragement to all of us if we're making resolutions, is to lean in to God's people in 2020. Because I'm, I'm a pessimist too. I think the world is uh, pretty awful all the time. That's probably a flaw of mine. But, but when I look to the future, I see us needing more of each other and not less. And as we go into 2020 and 2021 and 2025 and whatever, however long the Lord tarries until he returns for his people and we're looking for hope, we look for hope in Christ, the power of his death and resurrection, and we're reminded of that hope by each other. And so lean into the people of God this year. Make it a priority to spend time with one another, to encourage one another in the word, to pray for and with each other. And uh, I think good things are going to happen. I think it's going to be a good year for the kingdom of God because King Jesus is on the throne and he's going to make sure of it. So we're going to pray. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing. And once again, we're going to be reminded of the truths of the gospel and the communion table is going to be open. And so please feel free to come down and help yourself to communion and just, just think through the things that we've talked about this morning and the hope that you have in Christ. Father God, we are people that are bound to you in hope. We, we have nothing without you. Paul says that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, of all people, we are the most to be pitied. And God, if our hope is real, it is in you. We look forward to a new year and <laughs> I want to get in shape too and I want to do better with my finances and I want to spend more time with my kids and I've got all of these things and I fail. Jesus, you do not. The hope that you bring, the priorities that you have, the goals in your heart will come to pass. Paul says that you will finish what you have begun in us. And we have no reason to doubt that. Lord Jesus, show yourself strong in this new year. Even if 
our personal lives are challenging, even if our country seems crazy, even if the world is going to hell. Give us eyes to see how big you are, how great you are, how strong you are, how powerfully you have us in your hands. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.